Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. While we're currently not able to run our monthly repair events, our work with the London repair community is integral to this mission. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart project. Today we're talking about laptop donation and refurbishment projects in London. We talked about this topic back in September of last year and decided to revisit it now six months later. We're joined by Mercedes Oli, co-founder of Merit, and James Diamond from Hackney Fixers, who have both been doing integral work in this effort. Welcome to the show. Hi, Hugo. Hello. Hi, great to have you both. And we did talk about this topic in various shows. Uh, recently, there's been so much interest and it'd be great to get updates from both of your perspectives. But before we dive in, we wanted to cover a few news stories that came to our attention in the last uh, few days. So first, uh, one to do with right to repair. John Deere promised that farmers would be able to repair more easily their tractors three years ago. Apparently it lied, according to a news story we saw on Vice and Motherboard. Three years ago, John Deere promised more access to repair for their tractors in a bid to stop a right to repair law that campaigners were trying to pass in the United States. The changes were meant to come into effect in 2021, but farmers have not seen any difference yet. According to a report we've seen by campaigners in the US PIRG, organization in the US, it is still extremely difficult, if not impossible, for farmers to get diagnostic software, tools or parts from dealers, as was originally promised. And farmers are still incurring massive costs related to shipping or getting the repair done by a professional authorized. These are repairs that they say they could perform themselves if given access to the software. What do you make of this? It seems like an old story that a right to repair doesn't really happen unless manufacturers are forced to it. Yes, it reminds me of the recent story about the launch of the French Repairability Index, which is a great step forward because it gives us access to scores about how repairable devices are. But uh, there's no transparency in how the manufacturers reach those scores. So once again, we're relying on the manufacturers to do the right thing. And um, can we trust them? Yeah, big, big question. Trusting manufacturers to help consumers or users of their products actually make the most of their products. Mercedes, uh, farmers often work in you know, remote areas where they can't actually access a repair dealership that could take care of them. What do you make of this? No, exactly. It's, 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 a, it's a very good example as to why it is so important because tractor is something that you're going to be needing and it's crucial to your work and if you live in a remote area 
and you have difficulty when maybe you are able to perform the repair is is totally goes against logic really apparently john deere argues that it does not want to allow this access um, for farm to farmers so because they worry that farmers might hack their vehicles but there does not seem to be evidence of this or a desire to do this quite the opposite apparently well we've read stories over the last few years that farmers had to resort to buying alternative firmwares to indeed hack their tractors so that they could repair them uh, because they weren't allowed to buy using the software tools provided by the manufacturer. So big story that doesn't seem to come to a positive end uh, yet. We have other stories that equally don't seem to give us so much reason to hope. Um, one is about Apple uh, that in Europe faces yet another lawsuit over the throttling iPhones, also known as Battery Gate. Euro consumers launched a class action lawsuit seeking 60 million euro compensation, roughly 60 euro per each device for iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 6S and 6S Plus sold uh, in Italy between 2014 and 2020. Euroconsumers is coordinating similar lawsuits in Belgium and Spain, and one is planned for Portugal too. Els Brugman, head of policy and enforcement at Euroconsumers, said in a statement that not only were consumers defrauded and did they have to face frustration and financial harm, but from an environmental point of view, this is also utterly irresponsible. Now, we've seen in the US people getting compensated for this very issue, but somehow not people in Europe. And absolutely, we haven't heard from consumer rights organizations in the UK uh, willing to take action in the same way. And we honestly wonder why and why is it that such large manufacturers can basically get away with such practices, especially when they've accepted to pay compensation to customers in other countries, such as in the US. So again, this shows that there needs to be pressure from citizens and consumers bottom up to actually get the record straight on this. Finally, we've read again by excellent work of our friends in the United States, the US PIRG. Uh, they did a survey of biomeds, the biomedical technicians that are in charge of maintenance and repair of medical equipment in hospitals, that 76% of biomeds in the US have been denied access to parts or service materials for critical medical equipment by the manufacturers over the last three months. So this is exactly during the pandemic. 80% of biomeds currently have equipment that they cannot service because of restrictions to accessing service keys, parts, or other service materials. And 97% of biomeds agree that removing barriers to manufacturer parts and service material is important to their repair work right now. It's quite shocking. We've not heard any similar a survey in the UK or across Europe. We've 
heard more anecdotal evidence of similar issues. So we wonder if anyone listening out there is a biomed in the UK willing to tell us why is this different here or to confirm if it's the case that the same is happening in the UK. We'd love to hear from them. But now for the main topic of today's show, uh, the continued need for laptop uh, donation projects. We talk about this topic back in September when the work that James Diamond was doing with the Hackney Fixers was really getting off the ground. And since then, it seems to have only progressed in demand and in the amount that we are managing to uh, repair and reuse. There's been also a major burst of publicity and demand at the beginning of the current lockdown in January. And I'm sure this has been reflected in your projects, both with Hackney Fixers and with Merit as part of the work that we've been witnessing and promoting. Restart particularly got involved in two ways, one by promoting a UK-wide list of projects that people can reach out to and donate their unwanted, not longer needed computer, and also specifically supporting projects such as Merit in uh, London, getting more visibility and more continuous stream of donations of products. How has your work changed in the last few months and what have been the biggest developments you've seen? Well, I suppose uh, in the last few months we had um, a lot of donations uh, really, really kicked off. What would you think, uh, James? Yes, absolutely. I mean, in September, we were sort of starting to wind down our project. But then, of course, with the new lockdown in January, suddenly the schools were closed again. The, the need for the, this work was so evident that um, we wanted to just continue doing more and more of it. Yeah, in January, in fact, uh, on the 4th of January, when the new lockdown was announced, uh, we were receiving about, I will say, 20 donations per week. And since uh, on the first week of January, it just escalated to about 200 on the week. So it was really, we could see a lot of involvement from the community, a lot of people really trying to change uh, this problem, which was really, really good. The biggest change from my point of view was that we decided to team up with Mayor IT and really support them. So we're now working as volunteers there to help them get the volume of donations processed uh, and also joining in with the Restart Projects uh, London-wide project to help uh, restarters repair computers that need a little bit more work. Um, so it's really up to also the organisation that is behind providing the computers. There's also been an initiative that was joint with Mercedes and another colleague, Raj, to create a London-wide network called the London Tech Collective so that we can support each other in this work. You know, there's really been an upping of the, let's say, the infrastructure to support the work as well as the demand for the work itself. So all of a sudden now people multiply the number of devices donated for reuse. This must have been quite a challenge in terms of making sure that they can be refurbished and uh, repaired in some cases and reused. James, how have you and other restarters from Hackney Fixers been helping Mare IT and others with this? 
So I'm going into Mayor IT uh, once a week and I'm working on devices when I'm there and then I take some away with me and I work on those at home. So it's helping to up the volume of production. Uh, I have to say at the moment we're tending to focus on the more easily processed devices because we want to get the productivity, keep the productivity high. That means that we have a, a big pile of or growing pile of devices that need a bit more attention, but we don't have the time to focus on those at the moment. So this is where the Restart Project's uh, network of repairers can really help to come in and process some of those harder to fix devices. At the moment, the priority is on output, but I think uh, that will gradually change Maybe when the lockdown eases, we'll have a bit more time to work on some of the harder to work on devices. But uh, yeah, it's it's a matter of prioritizing and trying to get some production going at the moment. And what's the most common fix that you've come across while refurbishing such a large amount of devices? So I would say that uh, battery and charger issues were the most common. Some uh, organizations don't worry too much about providing a working battery with a device, but personally I think that it, at least it shouldn't die when you disconnect it from the mains. So you need some kind of battery functioning there. Quite often people donate devices without the charger, so you need to then source a, a replacement charger before you can uh, work on the device. Those are probably the, the two most common to, to get things actually working. Sometimes we have issues with uh, needing devices that need more memory or a bigger hard drive, a better hard drive, a faster hard drive like a, a solid state drive. And sometimes we have issues with uh, the CMOS battery, which is a battery that keeps the real time clock alive. These have a limited life and sometimes they need to be replaced. And sometimes you have to actually take the motherboard out to do that, but they should be much more accessible to replace in, in all devices. Those are the most common things, and of course, cleaning. Every device needs to be cleaned. You are listening to Restart Radio. Our repair events are currently on hold, but we're working hard to make repair more accessible. From campaigning for the right to repair to supporting laptop reuse projects, we need your help. If you're able to donate to fund our work, go to therestartproject.org slash give to learn more. Excellent. Really lots going on. And can we get a step back and ask Mercedes how and why you started Mare IT and how is it going? Well, it's going, it's going well. Yeah, I started Meriti uh, back in 2013, basically because I became digitally excluded myself. I was feeling very confident with my, my skills in PHP. I was feeling, yeah, I'm getting somewhere, you know, I'm getting good at this. And I want to switch on my computer and the computer wouldn't switch on. And that's when I realized that I knew nothing of what was happening beyond that power button. I realized that I had no savings. I, I had, you know, good enough uh, digital skills, but I was effectively digitally excluded because I could not afford a new computer. So that was um, an open-minding as well of what being digitally excluded really means. It's a lot bigger than not having a device or not having, you know, the skills or the data. 
I remember back then I just went to the high street trying to find a second-hand shop where maybe I could buy something and for some reason I ended up by the college and I thought oh no come on tell me that there is a course starting and that course really really changed me it was the beginning for me to to understanding the relationship between hardware and software a few months later I went to visit my mom and she used to live in Morocco when I was visiting her, I was seeing how many families really would benefit from having a device. So it just crossed my mind. I thought, maybe I'm not going to go down to the recycling center and see if, you know, if they have anything in there. And they did. They had plenty of things. And you could tell that you know, those computers have been there for months. They've been rained on. And I asked, can I take something? And they were like, yeah, it's all rubbish. Take it. So I took it home and, and I was amazed. Everything was working. And that's when I realized how strong hardware is, because I realized we end up throwing things a lot quicker than, than we could or we should. So when I came back to the UK, I started volunteering at Computerate, and that's when I met Alex, my colleague. He had his own lived experience with regards to being digitally excluded. One of the main things that got us working together was this eagerness to, to share that, to really tell people look, this is a lot easier than what it looks like. You know, we have a fear about our electronics. We deal with computers, with mobile phones. We have them every day. They've become part of us and cannot be total strangers to them. That's why we decided to set up a course just to show people, give them a lot of practical experience, break that fear of opening up a machine, of really removing the sticker that says warranty void if sticker removed when you know the the computer doesn't have any warranty and, and you know it's broken anyway but it's still that fear so by knowing how your equipment works it improves the relationship with repairers it improves the understanding and you know you can always by all means take it down to the repair shop but it's important that you know how to use it because it's the new reading and writing really the public attention on this issue of making the most of hardware no longer used and the need for access for young people has been extremely heightened in the last few months. However, it seems to have been a long existing problem before lockdown that meant that many children couldn't do perhaps their homework or just make the most of digital resources available. Have you come across this in your previous work? Yeah, I mean, we've been running since 2013 and I have to say that we found it always very difficult to attract any funding. Most were in disbelief that there was such a need to bridge the digital divide. The common belief was that it's just the elderly that they don't want to join anyway. For us, we were seeing that that was very, very different. We do run the courses, but we also run uh, free computer repair workshops for the community. This is to teach our students a bit of soft skills and, you know, real repair in the real world. But it also gives us a very good opportunity to see real members of the public coming to us with a computer problem. And we could see that the unemployed, uh, you know, young people, they're mainly on the phone, uh, the unemployed, they might have a computer, but it's normally outdated, not fit for purpose. Even if they have a computer, they do not have an adequate computer. So it is still lack of device. A lot of uh, the unemployed as well are going to see that they need to improve their digital skills. 
And, and then it's obviously the problem with data poverty, which is the third pillar of the digital exclusion, lack of adequate uh, internet connection. We talked in January about how getting devices into the hands of students perhaps isn't enough to achieve true digital inclusion. Rather that this is also needs to be accompanied by teaching children to become internet literate in a sense. Do you have any thoughts on this linked perhaps to the data poverty that you've experienced? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's not just children. With children, you can see it really well. I mean, and we believe children learn, well, everyone learns better by playing when you're having fun. If you have a five or seven year old that has a computer for himself and starts playing, let's say, Minecraft, and then they need another software to talk to their friends, then they start lagging. And then they do a research online to find out why are they lagging and how can they be better on their game. And then they realize they need more RAM. You know, it's just a, a development that that five, seven year old is doing. It's improving their online, you know, the research online. They are learning how to identify genuine websites to not so genuine websites. And the five or seven year old that doesn't have that computer is falling behind from that very moment. They reach 10 or 12 and the kid that did have a computer is at another completely different level just because he had those three, four years. By the time, you know, the, the teenager that has never had a computer before or has to, have to share it with their siblings, when they reach 16, 18, they are totally disengaged and they cannot really understand why. They've gone to school the same as their peers. They do know how to search online because obviously they've had a mobile or, you know, they've been using online. But the amount of hours and progress, the comparison is, is really heartbreaking. So we really need to support kids from the very beginning. That's one. Second, we really believe that it's, it's never too late to learn. And it really depends on what your interests are. But there is always time to get on board. Yeah, it's not. Again, it's not, as you said, it's not just the lack of a device. It's if you don't have a proper internet connection, you are not going to be able to join online classes because it's a streaming. So data is extremely important and is really out of reach for organizations like us. Data poverty is something that is really out of our control. And have you been able to witness the impact of your work on those that are receiving laptops? And are there any memorable cases that come to mind? Uh, a student at a local college who we handed over a, a nice refurbished Apple MacBook to her. And she was so thrilled because she was trying to do her coursework, college coursework, on uh, an iPhone. And she wasn't even able to properly log in to register with the college. And suddenly all these problems were solved for her and she was able to envisage really getting on to grips with her studies and she wanted to be a nurse. She was doing access course because she hadn't done so well at school. So here she was on the threshold of being able to access a nursing course by having access to a, a, a device. So that's a really heartwarming story. You can see on Tuesdays we've got um, people coming to pick up the laptops and, and you can see it in their eyes. Uh, you know, their happiness, it really is on their eyes. Some of them, they just hack, literally hack the computer. And now we are at the end, hopefully, of the full lockdown that prevented students from going to school for over two months. 
but we know that students will still need laptops even once in-person schoolings begin and also other types of users will continue to need laptops and they don't have access. How can we keep the momentum going and how can people help? I think it's very important that as a society we start adopting this new attitude towards um, equipment that we no longer need and, and just dispose of it appropriately and instead of just taking it to a recycling center it's, a, it's ideal if they just can donate it to any organization that is local to them and so it can be you know refurbished data wiped and diverted to another local resident that is in need of it possibly as well uh, there has been a realization from local councils to to start extending the life of equipment and electronics that will otherwise become e-waste so it might be an idea for residents to contact the local councils and find out what they are doing, what their councils are doing with regards to their e-waste and whether there is a facility set up where they can donate those electronics so they can be refurbished and put them back into the community. And this type of work is not just about getting a laptop and making sure it can be reused, but there are other costs for organizations like yours that have to do with making this work sustainable, spare parts, new batteries, new chargers. So can people also donate to support this work financially? Yes, of course, financial donations. You cannot donate a laptop, but if you can donate a laptop and also financial donations, they are they are very, very important. I mean, funders are beginning to be more receptive to projects like those ones, but still, we are not the only need. There is many other needs uh, under COVID. So financial uh, need is also very important because as you said, it's just, just a, a laptop charger could cost 20 pounds. So even though you might get a laptop donated, then you have to buy more RAM, that is a tenner, then you have to buy the hard drive, another £20, and the charger. You know, it's still very affordable, it can come up to £50 in some cases, but you need to find those £50 in order to put that laptop back into the community. So yeah, financial donations are very much needed for all groups like ours. So we heard that people should never forget to donate their charger. Seems like an afterthought, but uh, we've heard also from waste authorities that are starting to receive more of these devices and also would like them to be reused, but often they don't get the charger. And so people seem to forget. But what else can people do, James? What's your final message? So, I mean, data is an issue. A lot of people, the data they have on their device is a barrier. So I think the Restart Project has a page about how you can wipe your device. But if you give it to a trusted organization like Mayor IT, you, will, you, know, you can know with confidence that they will wipe your and keep your data safe for you. So that needn't be a barrier. No, I'm just reinforcing that. Yeah, we will destroy the yeah. data for you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So don't forget to reuse the laptop that you no longer need and other people will continue to use it. Even if it's old, it can be made useful to other people hopefully with a free and open source Linux distribution. Yes, we found anything probably post-2008 is uh, eminently reusable for students. Wow, so something 12, even 13 years old could still have a second or third lease of life. Don't forget, 
thanks so much, both of you, for your time. And we look forward to hearing your next successes. Thank you so much, Hugo. Thank you. Due to the pandemic, we're currently not running in-person restart parties. We do have a few online events coming up and you can find our details on our website. However, if you'd like help fixing anything with a plug or a battery, tag us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, giving us information on the make model and fault of your device and we will do our best to help. You can find more information about our work at therestartproject.org. Thanks to Optonoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. We're here every second Tuesday of the month at 5 p.m. Until next time. <laughs>